Welcome to the UFO Thinker podcast. My name's Frank. Let's get cracking. So today, a bit of a bonus episode, um, following on actually from a few of the bits I was talking about uh, in the last episode, the, the kind of regular episode last week or this week, whenever you're listening to it. Anyway, the last episode that I did, and that was uh, towards the end. I was talking about a bit about consciousness and things to do with some ancient civilizations and things as well and I guess religion and things of that nature and I wanted to actually delve into that in a little bit more detail because I've kind of hinted at some of this in previous episodes recently but not not really kind of expanded on it so I thought let's get into that so it's all about consciousness specifically C5 cognitive human interface contact work basically in general because the trouble with ce5 it has obviously a a connotation you know certain stigma attached to it because of its links to stephen greer and obviously there are some people that are huge fans of stephen greer and there's some people that are definitely not huge fans of, of stephen greer um and I don't really want to go into that. I mean, like, obviously, Stephen Greer is a person, you know, fair play to him. He's done a lot for the topic and uh, certainly inspired a lot of people to get involved with contact work and, you know, meditation and, and so on. And, you know, fair play to the guy, not not knocking him as such. Um, I did a podcast recently about his new film, Cosmic Hoax, um, in which I was basically saying really not a big fan of what he'd, what he's done with that particular piece of work not slating him as a guy but just slating that particular piece of work essentially and um, anyone who's interested in that obviously you can go back and check out the episode because i'm not really going to delve into that right now and um, so obviously you can't really mention the topic of ce5 consciousness related contact with uh, non-human intelligences without touching on stephen gray so i did want to just get that in there but i'm not going to be talking about stephen gray in particular on this episode it's more about the a lot of the other people really that are involved in that kind of work and in that area within the ufo topic now thing is sorry about my squeaky chair it seems to be squeaking even more now it's can't even move i have to remain completely still and um (laughs) otherwise you get some squeaks so it's not any ghostly goings on it's nothing paranormal it's just my chair unfortunately it'd be much more exciting if it was something like that but yeah anyway so what i was saying uh, there's a lot of people uh, in the area of contact work um who are doing some pretty interesting things and I wanted to just explain where I'm up to with that side of things. It's a bit of a divisive one, I think, in, in the UFO world. Certainly it seems that way on if you look at UFO Twitter. Um, you see some people who are absolutely convinced that they themselves are actually, you know, communicating with extraterrestrials or, you know, some kind of intelligences. And then on the other hand, you get some people who are very heavily into the world of, of UFOs who think that it's a lot of absolute nonsense and they don't, you know, just don't have any stock, don't put any stock into this being a real thing. And quite honestly, my initial reaction when I started looking at all this was, 
you know, what is all this nonsense? You know, I mean, it's you've got to remember, even if you're some way down the rabbit hole of the UFO topic already, when somebody says, look, basically, like, you cut all the kind of credibility of the individual out of it, you, you cut all the background, you cut all of the things that could affect your, your, you know, your viewpoint on it, and what somebody is actually essentially saying is, look, you know, I have communicated with aliens. Now, that that's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? Even if you're already some way down the rabbit hole. And to be quite honest, my initial reaction to this when I've over the last couple of years when I've um, seen people talking about it was just that. You know, I just couldn't get my head around it. Didn't think there was anything of merit there to be studied or anything like that. But that has changed a bit. And as I said recently, a certain percentage of the things that I've thought were nonsense in the past have turned out to be true. So the thing is, is that even if that's a small percentage, even if only 5% of the things that you believe to be nonsense are actually true, it should really inform your thinking, bearing in mind that you know some of what you believe to be nonsense is true. I mean, I think it would be very rare to find somebody who has got it exactly right where a hundred percent of the things that they believe to be nonsense are actually nonsense and a hundred percent of the things that someone believes to be true are true it's often not the case i mean the percentages probably vary from person to person and depending on how deeply that individual looks into things but you know there's always a percentage of things that we assume to be absolute hard facts that are not at all true just completely not true just went down the wrong path zigged when you should have zagged and you ended up believing something that's totally false and like i said by you know the same logic a lot of things are a certain percentage of things you believe to be absolute nonsense crazy woo woo stuff whatever you want to call it some of that may be true it might only be one percent but it's worth bearing that in mind and there has been things in the past that I have thought were nonsense that turned out to be true. There's things that I thought to be true turned out to be nonsense. It, you know, it works both ways. So I do think you should never dismiss anything as, you know, complete nonsense, especially in this topic, because you just never know. And it is an area that I, you know, I've always found interesting. I mean, who doesn't find it interesting that the, the, the concept of being able to meditate and put yourself into some kind of you know different state different way of thinking reaching enlightenment you know the ancient religions um you know a lot of them have one thing in common which is people meditate and you know reach different levels of consciousness through meditation but a lot of that is shrouded in secrecy as well you know a lot of the people who supposedly do reach these enlightened states are isolated and they take even in some cases vows of silence and things like that and it's it's not necessarily the you know straight for you don't have like influencers on youtube talking about how they've reached nirvana do you do you know what i mean it's um it's not the easiest topic to like find things about but i have actually personally meditated before and the reason for my meditation was as i've touched on a little bit recently that i um, study Muay Thai, Thai kickboxing uh, for anybody who's not familiar and the one of the things about Thai boxing is that it's extremely 
intense cardio wise i mean i go running i do a lot of different fitness stuff but thai boxing is something that completely just knocks you for six in terms of it, it's very hard work and when i started doing it i found myself um you know it's really hard to cool down after you've done it and in some cases it left me a bit you know kind of like anxiety kind of stuff and it's like um because it's so intense I personally, not everybody gets this, but me personally, I find that it can kind of trigger a bit of a fight or flight um, kind of, um, you know, sensation. And in some cases, I found that like I've struggled to calm down. I, like training is so intense that you feel like you're actually in a fight. So afterwards, it's kind of hard to, to calm your mind. And the um, our, in, our instructor um, at, at the gym, where I train is an ex two-time world champion in uh, Muay Thai, extremely uh, experienced, and and he was saying you have to remember, you know, that basically the concept of yin and yang, you can't expect your body to be firing on all cylinders, completely intense one minute, and then the next minute to calm down. And essentially, cut a long story short, he he kind of encouraged me to eat cleaner, drink more water, not not to take in too much you know, processed foods, sugar, avoid alcohol, things like that, and also to meditate. And there's, I, I mean, again, everyone's different, but me personally, I have found cutting down on processed sugars and things like that um, really helps in terms of like any anxiety type stuff or, you know, depression type stuff. And it helps to not have that feeling of, of kind of like anxiety after intense cardio and uh, meditation is definitely something that helps just to sit and be with your own thoughts for five minutes you know it really helps to calm the, the body down bring the breathing back down to normal again and it's that balance is being restored so you know when you're training so intensely especially if you're doing any kind of sparring or actual striking work rather than just cardio stuff when you're doing that your mind is also in that mindset as well so that that's what got me into meditation to try and combat that but i have to say it's quite hard work uh, i'm a father you know i've got very young children and at this moment it's very difficult to to actually you can't really just go and meditate with a two-year-old jumping on you or something you know it's it's not as easy to to maintain it as a a regular routine i would like to do more of it but it's not always that simple but anyway so i have started to kind of look into more of the consciousness side of things with ufos and everything and i thought I have a go of of the whole you know give it give it a try and and see what actually happens what do i experience it's it's all very well and good saying you know this stuff's a lot of nonsense or whatever but you don't really know until you actually try it yourself i've always wanted to see you ufo obviously i've always been fascinated in this topic never seen anything um and i thought you know let's give it a go after the initial thing of kind of dismissing it for a little while and thinking of it as being nonsense i started to look into people like um sean cahill is is a big one not necessarily from the point of view of um actually making contact but just he's a big um 
basically just in, encourages people to to meditate. Or, I don't know if he really does encourage people, but he he certainly shares his own experiences with meditation, and um, there's a few others as well that are a lot more specifically related to contact and UFOs and and I guess C five you could call it, um, such as James Iandoli and um, Project Unity. Um, and these guys, I mean, especially James, James Iandoli has been really cool to me. I, I reached out to him a couple of times on, on Twitter about asking him about certain things to do with, um, you know, the the meditation and, and contact, contact work in general. And he was super helpful. And my experiences with these people from reading the tweets and seeing how they respond to other people, especially James, I mean... Um, is uh, engaging the phenomenon. A lot of people who are listening to this podcast will already know about James and his, his great podcast, but um, really worth a listen. Um, and having said that, there and, and what I was about to say just there is is James is, is, is really kind of, he responds to people who actually ask him difficult questions on Twitter and he seems to want to actually engage with, you know, the actual community, the UFO community um, as well. And, I just didn't get the vibe that he was, you know, there was anything dodgy going on. He certainly doesn't seem to be, you know, selling a product as such. It's just, um, it it was a big part, really, of what made me start to think there may be something more to it because there's no agenda there. He's not selling a book, you know. I'm pretty sure I even heard James say at one stage that he doesn't even monetize his YouTube channel because he just wants to help people to get aware of this and to to spread awareness of it and things like that. And it's like, wow, okay, right. Because obviously, if if you look into it and you find out somebody's trying to sell a book, you know, it's, it's, it leaves you with a different feeling to if somebody's just trying to spread the word because it's something they've experienced and they want to share it. Um, having said that, there are definitely some some other characters which i'm not gonna i don't like to throw shade that's not why i started the podcast um there are other characters that i've come across that just definitely didn't seem on that wavelength uh, that i was talking about a minute ago um so there's a bit of a mixed bag out there um but you know as i say um james iandoli project unity as well jay uh, from project unity seems like a very intelligent dude you know very well spoken they've got actual uh video footage which is not uh, there's a few examples of dodgy footage out there the flares the infamous infamous flares video uh being dropped from a plane and and you know there's definitely some dodgy cases out there which are um you know muddy the waters but it, it seems to me that there are some pretty interesting you know examples of orb type of videos you know so like weird energy orbs or something lights in the sky which don't seem to behave like satellites i've seen ones that go along in a straight line stop and then turn back and go the other way again and i mean i have relatively limited knowledge but I mean, I'm not a scientist is what I'm trying to say. I'm not a physicist, but I don't know what could do that. I mean, what what could there be that's a light in the sky that can fly along at a very high altitude, stop, and then turn back? Uh, uh, drones is the obvious one, but some of these things seem to be a lot higher than, than what a drone could go. And, 
it just um, you'd have to go to some extraordinary length to to fake something like that, and I don't know, maybe it's just me being naive, but I just get the impression from some of the characters that are involved after listening to podcasts and things that they're not faking it. And again, that's a gut feeling. You can't really say there's no data there, but I don't understand why, what what these people would have to gain from faking videos, and they don't. They just don't look fake to me, and I can't think of a a reasonable explanation as to what they could be. So there's certainly some compelling videos out there of of orbs and things like that, and I have heard people describing things like orbs and light beings and so forth when they've talked about DMT, ayahuasca, and things like that. And it has really kind of intrigued me as to how it all fits together, and uh, so I thought let's 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 actually have a go of it. You know, the footage is not mind blowing. The footage doesn't show things zipping across the sky. It does, there's nothing to rule out that it could be, a, you know, there's no way it could be a drone kind of thing because it could be, you know. But the only way to know for sure is to give it a try. So I thought I'd actually delve into it myself. And it also kind of made me think about some possible links to certain things that I've experienced in the past as well. Now, this is going slightly off the topic of C5 for a minute, and just to explain a little bit about, again, something I've kind of hinted at in a few podcasts, so a few people might have wondered what I was on about. But when I was younger, I had some lucid dreams and some extremely vivid recurring dreams as well and I actually a lot of this I actually forgot about because I had um, a period of time where I was just very busy in life working and doing this that and the other and for one reason or other I didn't really have I wasn't really in the right headspace to even really consider any of this stuff and I just thought it was dreams that I had when I was a kid and things like that but I I used to actually tell my cousins because uh, cousins the same age as me very similar age to me and at one time one of my cousins was terrified because I told him that I'm being visited by beings at night you know and again could be a dream I was a very imaginative kid but there was a lot of references to me being in space and visiting places and things like that i found a drawing quite recently that i did when i was about seven years old which has got a picture of me like scrolled picture you know like a kid's drawing next to some next to a car and it says blah 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 blah. um i have three cars in space you know and i think space was spelled s-p-e-y-s you know so it shows you how young i was and i appeared to for you know you would from looking at the picture it appears that i have seen some kind of image of myself possibly what in the future i don't know um in space it, it's a bit of a weird one like i say i could have just imagined the whole thing but i also had these very specific um dreams which i can't explain the ones about me being in space, me contacting aliens and, and whatever, it could just be put down to um, a vivid imagination as a kid. But I also, I got quite ill quite regularly when I was a kid. And I had really bad fever and like uh, 
yeah, what what's the word like um delirious um from from the fever where I was running a really really high temperature and whenever I got ill like that which happened quite regularly over a period of about three or four years uh, when I was younger probably from being about seven to being about 11 12 um whenever I had that delirious stuff I used to shout in my delirious state about space and none of it really made any sense because I didn't know this was before the internet and stuff. I didn't know anything about space or anything like that. And I remember saying, my mum always tells me this thing that one time I said that I was on the edge of space and oh, my mum's on the edge of space or something. And it's all a bit weird. And I, whenever I was in those states when I was really ill, I'd have these really vivid dreams, which I really can't find words to actually explain. But it's something along the lines of, I am there and... I'm in a place which is made of textures and colours, but there is no actual physical objects there. But at the same time, everything is made from physical objects in the space. And there's these enormous shapes which are grey and kind of disc-like and they're turning as if they're wheels and I'm somehow in, in amongst these huge grey disc shapes. And when I have those dreams i have this really strange sensation as well throughout my body the bizarre one it could just be you know the the the, the mind doing its thing because i'm delirious when i'm ill but it's hard to explain it feels like i'm in a place and as soon as i have those dreams i feel like i'm back in the same place again and at the moment that i'm having the dream it makes sense where i am and what's going on but then obviously afterwards i think back on it and it doesn't make any sense at all and i had those dreams regularly um, and i was always in the same place it was always the same big gray shapes and it was always um you know it was always that same sensation that i used to get and that went on till i was about 12ish and then i've never had them since um but I have had a few other ones where there's there's another dream that I always think back on which was very vivid and I was in a city or some kind of felt like a city but it wasn't a city as we would know it. Everything was made from lights and energy and lights it, it, and all these really bright vivid colours and I remember thinking that it all made sense and then again when I woke up none of it made sense and it just seemed bizarre but... Again, you could just put all of that down to dreams, you know, just the mind um, running wild, you know, especially when you're ill, you, your mind might work in a bit of a different way. But I just thought that was worth mentioning. And recently, in particular, I've had some very, very um, strange, almost premonition type of things. So, again, some of this might just be coincidence and i'm not saying i've got some kind of skill where i can read the future or anything but there's been a few really specific things that i've seen in dreams that have then happened and there's actually quite a number of them but the kind of the main ones are basically my um i i have a daughter now who's about two two and a half and when we found out that she was going to be born when we found out that my wife was pregnant i had a dream where and i don't really want to go into the full details of this because some of it's kind of not the sort of thing that i want to talk about uh, on a on a podcast but there were some very specific things that i saw within the dream that that were 
um, turned out to actually be the case a few days later. But um, what it was was that I was stood in a very specific place in my kitchen and um, my wife came in and told me that she was pregnant. And then literally about two days after that, I was stood in that specific place and my wife came in and told me that she was pregnant. And it was it was a bit odd, you know, but I thought to myself, well, you know, I do stand in that place in the kitchen sometimes. Maybe it's just one of those things. Then there was another thing where I had this real urge to basically I had this quite old car that I really liked and I had a really strong urge to go to a garage, a car garage, to have a look for this other particular car that I wanted to buy. And it was a very specific spec of car. I'm very particular about things like that. And it had to be a certain colour, it had to be a certain age of car, it had to have a certain mileage on it, and it had to have exact spec, like the, the colour of the interior and um, whether or not it was two-wheel drive or four-wheel drive and all these kind of things. I could make a list of about 20 things. And I was worried at the time because I had a very young daughter and I was driving around in this old car that wasn't very reliable and so on. Anyway, this one day I had a really specific urge to take that car to... Uh, a, a car garage to check if um, the pra the pram fitted into the new car that I was thinking of buying and as it turns out when I arrived there my car actually broke down in the garage of the, the, the car garage that I went to and when I went inside while I was waiting for the tow truck to come and take my car away it turned out that they had just that morning got in stock the exact car that I wanted in the exact colour in the exact spec with the exact mileage the exact age of car that I was looking for and everything just was right there and that was another weird one and then just very recently um, I for some reason just kept I had this thought kept coming into my head about and it's going to sound weird, but maybe I'm getting too much calcium. Like it just popped in my head one day, like, oh man, maybe you're getting too much calcium. I was like, what? What's calcium got to do with anything? Like, I don't have any calcium problems. I don't even really drink very much milk, you know. But I just kept coming back in my head again and again. And then it just so happened that my, my wife's mum got took into hospital about a week after I'd, I'd been having this feeling every day. And they couldn't find out what was wrong with her. And in the end, it turned out that she had too much calcium in her system. And so, so there's just a few quite weird things going on there. And I don't know how that relates to anything really, but I just wanted to throw it out there because I did find it quite interesting that I was, you know, seeing things in quite a lot of detail that actually turned out to be true. And I suppose it's human nature to find a pattern in things and to, you know, oh, maybe I was thinking about that last week. Who knows? I'm not saying I can predict anything, you know. Maybe it was just a coincidence, a series of coincidences, but it did seem quite interesting. And I, I, you have to think, that, you know, there's certain things with the phenomenon that we have we have no idea about. There are certain forces in the world that we don't understand and is it that there's some kind of links with dreams and the future and imagination and the future I, I i don't know i'm not saying any of this stuff is i've not got any facts to back it up it's it but i you know i assure you that all of that stuff really happened and 
some of that was what got me thinking about delving into the um, meditation and, and trying to explore my own consciousness a little bit more. And yeah, so that, that, that was a bit of, you know, how I ended up going into this path a little bit more. Like I say, it could all just be a coincidence. I'm, I'm more than open to that being a possibility. In fact, I probably tend towards that being a possibility, but it did seem a bit intriguing to me. And that was kind of why I decided to go down the path of, um, you know, exploring a bit more of the consciousness angle of the, the phenomenon. And I have heard a lot of people like um, C5 proponents and people who study the consciousness element of the phenomenon talking about synchronicities, things which seem, you know, like it's just too unlikely that it's a coincidence. It seems like there's some kind of a pattern there. So anyway, let's get back to my actual experiences with um, CE5 then. But as I explained, I thought, let's just give this a go. Quite lucky to be to live in a, in a place where we're actually, um, we've got a reasonable sized garden and um, you can have, you can see a really, really large patch of sky basically from our house and the sky is relatively clear. There's not a lot of light around our house and we live in a kind of semi-rural, I guess. Um, it's not like a really posh area. I'm not certainly no, not a wealthy guy or anything, but um, we're just so happy, so happen to live in a, a kind of a semi-rural sort of area where you can see a lot of sky. So I thought, you know, why not have a go at making it a regular thing of actually going out, looking up and seeing what I can see. I kind of do that anyway, but like doing it a more of a structured thing with actually involving some elements of meditation in there as well. And let's see what happens, you know? So the first experiment that I did was a Sean Cahill video. So I really like Sean Cahill. Um, I think he's a fascinating guy just in general. Um, He's obviously got, well, obviously people may or may not know, he has um, a, a current working relationship with Luella Zondo um, to try and push this topic forward. And um, and Sean is a uh, retired uh, US Navy chief petty officer. So he's actually quite well known within the UFO world for um, basically being a witness to some of the events surrounding the USS Nimitz Tic Tac uh, incident in 2004. Um, and the thing that Sean is working on with Lou, if anyone is interested, is uh, Skyfort, which you can check out, www.skyfort.org. Um, and yeah, so Sean has a YouTube channel and he does... Um, a lot about meditation on there and essentially I thought good place to start so I, I stuck on one of the videos I actually I was at, actually at work at the time and I put one of the videos on and thought let's just give it a go you know close the doors I sat in a comfortable chair and it was like a 10 minute video it's got like wave sounds in the background quite relaxing and uh, Sean kind of talks you through how to how to get into meditation it's a very similar kind of concept to some things that i've done in the past through my martial arts and things which is basically to just first of all have a few minutes just to settle into the 
the new kind of like um, zone that you're going to put yourself in and focus on your breathing. Try to kind of let all of the whirlwind of thoughts that's going on in your head, try and kind of clear some of the noise. And then just let your thoughts go where they want to go. And the thing that I started to, to picture in my head, part of this may be because there was wave sounds in the background of the video as well, but um, I pictured the sea and a lighthouse and a kind of a rocky coast and a seaside town that I couldn't go into, but I could just see semi in the distance. And after a certain amount of time of doing this, I did feel some of that strange sensation that I spoke about when I have those dreams as a kid, the big grey shapes and the weird textures uh, dreams. And I felt a slight hint of that sensation whilst I was doing this meditation. I don't, I've, the meditation I've done to calm down after my Muay Thai and things like that has never really, I've never really noticed anything like that. So I did think that was very unusual. Um, and then I went outside shortly after and didn't really see anything of note in the sky, but it was quite an interesting experience. And it actually made me think as well about a wider, a slight tangent for a second. And then in a minute, I'll get back to what happened on the second time that I tried this. Spoiler alert, it wasn't mind blowing. So don't be keep getting your hopes up too much. <laughs> but um, I was thinking with meditation, okay, so... I have pictured a coast and a beautiful um, coast and a beautiful rocky outcrop with a lighthouse on it and the, a beautiful view out over the ocean, okay? I have witnessed that just now. What it really made me think in the day or so after doing that was, is it any less real that I have actually witnessed that and been at the coast is, is that any less real than it would be if I'd have actually gone to the coast? You know what I mean? Is it... And, and I was thinking about this recently. I like playing yeah, a computer game, so I've got a PS4. want to eventually get a PS5 when I can actually find one. But I was thinking about this. Just let me take a little drink of water. It's a very hot day today uh, in the UK. But I was thinking when I was playing um, a, a game called Red Dead Redemption. So Red Dead Redemption, it's an old cowboy uh, type of game. You ride around on horseback, you have a revolver, you can shoot people and stuff. But one of the things about the game is that it's a vast open world game and you can just roam around on horseback. And it is quite stunning. So as you're roaming around on horseback, you're experiencing beautiful views of the countryside and it made me kind of think while I was playing that game, it's actually a year or two ago now, but it made me think, you know, I wonder how it actually works, that how the human brain reacts to the experience of playing a, a video game, a very realistic video game with beautiful scenery in the countryside. I wonder how it chemically, how the brain reacts to that compared to actually being in um, the countryside riding around on horseback I imagine the actual countryside the real life being in the countryside on horseback is, is going to trigger more 
of whatever chemicals that make you enjoy the experience because the that's what the brain is isn't it at the end of the day it's basically just well i mean it's not basically anything it's an extremely complex thing but you know the feelings that we experience are basically just a mash of a mix of chemicals you know like if you feel happy that's a chemical being re released a hormone being released into your bloodstream which is picked up by certain receptors and blah 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 and it made me think about the nature of 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 reality like games like red dead redemption i can go to a town in red dead redemption experience the scenery of that town know my way around know that there's a really nice you know spot on the north side of the town and then what's more is i can actually then go and speak to a friend of mine and say oh have you been to the northern part of that town in in, in you know that part of the map it's beautiful you should go there and then they can go there and it made me think, you know, the way that just because it's made, you know, by humans and it's part of a video game experience, is that not still a real experience that I've had? I've been to a place, even though I've not been physically to a place, you know, and I, I suppose you could say that that all ties in with the simulation theory, you know, of what if we're living in a simulation, you know, and I've heard people discuss that and say, well, does it make your experience of life any less real? If you, if the whole, if this whole thing is a simulation, does it take anything away? Really? You're still experiencing it. And when I play a computer game like that, I'm still experiencing going to a place. And then that all leads me back to the meditation and thinking, well, if I have seen a place in my mind, is that not a real place then? Like if I experience walking around in this place and I hear the waves and I, I can walk onto the sea and pick up a rock, you know, how different is that to actually going to the coast? You know, I've still experienced it. I may come away from that experience more relaxed than I was when I, before I experienced it, you know? And it, it kind of makes you think about the power of the mind. Like if you can just close your eyes and experience a place go to a place, go have experiences which change your mood just through closing your eyes and expanding, you know, you're letting your imagination go. I, you know, I don't really like the expanding the consciousness and elevating your, you know, existence and all this type of stuff. It just starts to lose me a bit. But what I'm, you, you understand what I'm saying? I'm, I'm talking about you can close your eyes, picture a place and you're in that place. Like, surely that's a, still a real experience even if the place isn't real in inverted commas you know yeah so some heavy thoughts for you there something i've been pondering but so anyway the second time i um i tried some meditation actually no video this time i was at home on this occasion and kind of followed a similar process as the first time um interestingly this time i didn't see the lighthouse and the coast i just saw the sea which is a bit different and i didn't really have that same sensation from the dream that i was talking about earlier but what i did have was a very clear thought of tuesday the 28th of july at 8 p.m and i mentioned this when i had andy uh, on the podcast uh, quite a bit briefly I, to be honest I might have actually said the wrong date as well I can't really remember but it was the 
the date that I had uh, in my head, as soon as I came out of the meditation, I wrote the date and the time down because I didn't want to forget. Um, and it was, yeah, Tuesday the 28th of July at 8pm. Now, at the time, I didn't know when I was having that thought pop into my head. I didn't know whether or not the 28th of July was going to be a Tuesday or whether it turned out to be a Friday. And I was, you know, quite expecting to look at my phone and say, ah, the 28th is actually a Friday, you know, it must have been a lot of nonsense. But it very weirdly turned out that Tuesday the 28th, it actually was a Tuesday. So that was a bit weird. And uh, obviously when I'm recording this podcast right now, we're currently on the 23rd of July. So Tuesday the 28th has not arrived yet. So, and at 8pm as well, quite specific. So I thought what I would do is I'll keep this going. I'll try and go out every night, do a little bit of quieting the mind, mind a little bit of meditation and try to um, have a look and, and see what is going on in the skies. And when Tuesday the 28th comes, I'm going to be looking at 8 o'clock and we'll see what we see. We may see absolutely nothing, but it's it's going to be interesting to see what happens. It could just be that a completely random date has popped into my mind, but, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, we'll see if anything actually does happen. But on that second attempt, I also felt compelled to go out to, to go outside and, and have a look at the sky. Didn't see anything. I did actually take a picture of the sky and it had some kind of blurry black grey object in the in the distance um but i it's tempting to think that something was there in the sky when i took that picture but if i'm honest i think it's a fly um when you zoom in you know as maximum uh, as far as you can zoom it kind of looks like blurry wings and arms and uh, and legs or whatever you know flies have um so i don't think it was anything um, and I, I certainly didn't notice anything with the naked eye so I think it was probably just the second I took the photograph some kind of bug was flying across there are a lot of bugs that fly across our garden so that was the end of the second experiment and then the third and the fourth and the fifth time so far nothing too exciting has happened however I have noticed other things that have been quite interesting to pick up on so there was a a quite um, interesting looking object which I saw in the sky just hovering and just looking like a regular star but very bright and I thought mm, what's this got my camera out zoomed in on it and I've got a really good camera on my phone I've got the iPhone uh, 12 Pro Max so I think that's the best camera that currently you can get on an iPhone and I zoomed right in and took some video and took some uh, footage of it and it turned out basically long story short that it was Mars now first of all that's fascinating in itself you know just to be able to see Mars like it is, is pretty cool but what it made me realize is that when you zoom in on an object like Mars on a, on a good camera or I don't know if it's just that I don't know the ins and outs of the settings on the camera and there's ways to avoid this and stuff but it looks pretty weird the the object looks like it's kind of like morphing as the focus of the camera adjusts to it as you zoom in and out and i have definitely seen some ufo supposed ufo footage being posted online that actually it's just that kind of thing and when i've actually looked at where you would expect to see mars in the night sky and the type of like shimmery kind of light that you get from it it very much 
you know, looks as though what I saw was Mars. And it wasn't floating and it stayed there and it turns out it was there the night after, you know, conclusion that was reached was it's Mars. But the interesting thing was there's a lot of quite unusual things that you can get an object as ordinary as, I say ordinary, it's still fascinating and amazing, but an object that's ordinary that anyone can see in the night sky can look very strange if you zoom in in it a certain way with, with a good camera. So that was a, I thought it was an interesting observation and another one was um, a, a really kind of like a bright object a really really clear and this is actually last night um, a really clear object flying across the sky my wife actually noticed it uh, and we saw it going across and we were like wow that is amazing what is that and uh, it turns out it was the the international space station and um, so again it's probably a lot of people have witnessed it i've seen it before uh, but the thing is we've seen it before a number of times and we've seen like a bbc news article or something saying you know if you look out tonight you'll see the iss so we've done it blah blah, blah. but when we've seen it before it was a very cloudy night and it seemed really really high up and like it was very difficult to even see it but it was just a faint dot going across the sky and last night it was a really clear sky there was hardly any clouds and it looked very bright compared to the one we saw it the previous time so again it just goes to show it's a normal object that could easily be mistaken for something else if you were um, you know, if you really wanted to kind of see it as a certain thing, you could definitely interpret it as that. And again, when I zoomed in on it, um, yeah, it looked pretty bizarre. When you zoom in, it looks as though it's kind of changing shape. And I'm guessing what that is, is, the, is as it moves, it's the reflection of the... Um, I don't know if I'd have to look into this more, but I don't know whether the ISS is spinning as it moves through the sky or if there's just as it moves, there's some different ref reflections of sunlight which comes off it. But it looked really weird. And if I didn't know it was the ISS, um, I would think it was something, you know, quite interesting. But another example of um, something that is relatively day to day that can appear to be something a lot more impressive if you didn't know that it was that and it was definitely the iss because i went on the iss tracker website and it was lo and behold directly over the part of the uk where i live at the moment that we saw it so but i have to say overall the experiences of trying this kind of stuff out yeah i've not seen any orbs i've not seen any triangles which is what i want to see you know um i've not seen anything like that but I haven't really got any negative to say neg negative things to say about this uh, process so far. I mean, it's been absolutely brilliant. You know, it's making me look up at the sky more. Um, seeing the ISS and seeing Mars is really fascinating. You know, even if I wasn't going to see any kind of tic tac flying over my house, you know, which would be great. But even without seeing that. It's been an absolutely great experience and it's making me meditate more as well, which is something that I've kind of wanted to do a bit more of. Um, so I can't really complain. And even though I might not have seen anything that I could definitively say is anything bizarre, you know, still interesting and still been a great experience to try. So I am going to keep it going and we'll see where it leads to. Um, I mean, what, what could be more amazing than looking up at the stars anyway? I mean, it's... You know, it's, it's something that I used to do a lot more of. 
uh, especially when I was younger. And I'm just really happy that this experience has led me to looking up at the sky and, and looking at the stars a little bit more. But I also think it's a bit naive really to expect to see anything immediately after, you know, I've I've never tried any of this stuff before. You're not just all of a sudden going to see a black triangle appear over your house and like, uh, you know, start doing some crazy manoeuvres or something, are you? You know, I didn't really expect to see that, but you do see some people discussing CE5 and, and contact work and things that say, oh yeah, you can have, you know, a really vivid contact experience after like your first couple of goes. Um, I'm not sure how realistic that is. I mean, I'm sure these people have, but I'm not sure if they're referring to if you do it in a group of people um, who are experienced at this kind of thing and you tag along with them, you may experience something very quickly doing it that way. Um, and I have to say there's, um, again, you know, James Iandoli engaging the phenomenon has put me in touch with some people from the UK um, C5 UK groups and whatnot. Um, and I'm definitely going to try to go down to one of their meets that they have. Um, bit difficult because it's probably about a five, six hour drive to get there. And I actually work weekends, which is when they do most of their meetups. So I'm not sure how likely it's going to be to do that in the short term. But over the next year or so, I'm definitely going to go to at least one of those events and see what, see what that's like. Um, because it's a fascinating area, you know, it's, it is a fascinating area and it's, it intrigues me how this kind of stuff links into, you know, in ancient religions, people have been devoting their entire lives to, you know, exp expanding consciousness, if you want to put it that way, or, you know, just delving into the human mind through meditation and, um, you know, if people have, have dedicated their entire lives to these things, I can't expect anything mind blowing to happen after a few days. So it's a it's been an interesting experience so far and let's let's see where it goes. One thing that I've been really thinking a lot about, I tried to uh, get in touch with a few people about this within the C five community, um, didn't really get any responses and I'm not sure if this is because um perhaps they took it as a slight me trying to debunk the thing or perhaps people who are interested in C5 are not particularly interested in scientific analysis of what they're actually trying to do or what they're experiencing. I don't know. I mean, that's not really for me to say, I suppose, but I did reach out to a few people on Twitter and didn't get any anything back, um, which has been a bit unusual because when you express an interest in getting involved in the... Um, in contact work in general people seem to really flood to you know um, to help and I, I think I asked about is are there any good documentaries on um, the mission Rama and CE5 and, and like probably about six or seven different people within the CE5 community we were all posting links DMing me really great really cool people really helpful um, but a bit of a stark difference to when I, I started asking about things like DMT and um you know why that is I guess remains to be seen. Um but yeah that 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 is what it is. But what I was wondering is is there any possible connection between DMT and experiences? Now DMT is a bit of a um there's a lot of 
mixed information about DMT. People seem to think certain things are fact where actually they're not. So the problem is is that there's not much actual scientific study being done on this because you know very little is known about it. There's not really much of a scientific or medical should I say benefit to knowing about this at the moment. And as far as I've been able to research on this, there's no actual proof of DMT being released during near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, or actual the death of an individual. Um, but there have been studies done on rats, and, and the studies on rats were quite conclusive that DMT was released uh, as the rat, a rat was uh, dying. Now... I'm not sure exactly how they arrived at these results. It was probably quite a horrible um, experiment process, which I certainly wouldn't really condone. Um, but, you know, I guess it's one of those, whether you agree with it or not, the, those experiments took place. And there are also similar experiments done on genetic memory, which I definitely couldn't condone, but they are fascinating experiments, you know? And it's just... It's a bit of a sad state of affairs that the poor rats had to, um, you know, go through that. But the data is there at the end of the day, and you know, I'm certainly not condoning those experiments. But the data is is interesting to to look into, and they they found basically that the the rats' brains released uh, DMT concentrations upon death, and that the brain activity within rats was found to be very similar to people experiencing a dmt trip in a human brain which is that areas of the brain that don't normally interact in day-to-day -day life are interacting when you uh, when the rats have these um these higher concentrations of, of dmt and i think part of the reason it's not been studied in humans is because obviously I, I, again without going into the specific details um about it i think the idea is that these rats were were killed and um upon being killed the brain um chemistry was was being measured um and you can't do that with a human obviously um arguably shouldn't even really do that with a rat but again let's not go down that path but um the ethical questions to do with near death experiences and monitoring uh, brain chemistry is a pretty obvious one you know you can't do it um so there's just simply not enough data but i suppose it is possible that through focus dmt could be released during meditation it could be possible that dmt is released during death in humans as it is in rats and if that is the case it's very possible that people who have near-death experiences could have that triggering of DMT within the brain because the body and the brain is tricked into thinking that death is imminent and the DMT is then released and they have the experiences commonly associated with DMT and perhaps that near-death experience then has flicked the switch in the brain to be able to then access the dmt production within the brain more easily or perhaps even just like 
you, there's an expression like you broke the seal you know once you've done the initial release of dmt perhaps then it's occasionally it, it, a random little bit of dmt comes out and that certainly would explain or go some way to explaining why people who have had near-death experiences or out-of-body experiences associated with near-death experiences and so on, perhaps that would go some way to explaining why those people have or seem to be more likely to experience elements of the phenomenon or paranormal events and things like that. I'm not saying that that's the case. I'm not a scientist, you know, but and as far as I can see, there is not really that much data, but it certainly seems to be a possibility. And I would love to know if anybody out listening to this might know as well, if any actual blood work has been done on experiences, people who have experienced things, who are currently experiencing ongoing things and people who have had um, NDEs, OBEs, and anything of that nature whether or not there has ever been any studies done uh to to measure the the dmt within people's blood and and whether or not that's changed or does change upon experiences um of the phenomenon and maybe even those people you know, when they meditate or even possibly whether or not there's actually been any studies done on people who can supposedly access certain mental states through meditation. How does the blood work change? It may even be nothing to do with DMT, but perhaps like say, for example, during those, in you know, extended periods of meditation, perhaps blood sugar or blood oxygen goes to an abnormal level or something. These are things that I'm currently looking into. I find really fascinating but again you know i like speculating but also at the same time the rational side of my brain wants data facts and figures so that's what i'm looking into when it comes to that there is the possibility as well that um none of all that stuff really is the case and what it actually is is that these orbs represent some kind of life forms that we don't understand in the upper atmosphere or um, in some parts of the atmosphere which we can communicate with through some kind of telepathic ability that we don't realize that we have. It's like we whistle to get a dog's attention, you know, maybe some kind of newly discovered life form that can sense thoughts. You know, it sounds a bit woo, but when you look at the oceans and you see these kind of like neon glowing creatures that live at the bottom of the pitch black ocean and somebody posted something on twitter the other day about some kind of like see-through octopus that has all glowing lights within its body you know there's some pretty bizarre stuff that exists in nature it, it wouldn't really surprise me if there's some kind of like cloud being that lives in the sky you know that's like um that could that could account for a large number of ufo sightings you know some kind of like gaseous life form you know it sounds bizarre but stranger things have happened you know who knows that's a speculative one but it, it could even be possible that you know there is some relation with dmt within the human brain and dmt allowing you to tune into a certain frequency of reality frequency of reality or or something that allows you to sense these kind of beings and it, it could possibly be that you can get yourself into that state through focus and meditation and 
um, you know, using your diet or even using exercise to actually access certain states of consciousness where you can then perceive um, other life forms that exist on this planet that we can't normally perceive. You know, again, it's, it's fascinating to think about, but very difficult to actually, you know, prove any of this, I suppose. And, it, you know, the, the if you really want to go down that rabbit hole, the possibility that some kind of spirit realm or just a different dimension exists and that we can tap into that with the help of our consciousness or perhaps DMT or perhaps, as I mentioned in my previous podcast, maybe previous civilizations had already done this and maybe some of the ancient religions had already actually had contact with beings of that are on this earth or that are from elsewhere on different dimensions who knows i mean i have to say i, I do remain quite skeptical of the whole thing still but i'm also aware that any skepticism that lingers in my own head could itself affect the chances if if it is truly a real thing then being skeptical does that just completely blow your chances of actually experiencing anything out of the water you know who knows but i'm sure there's an element of skepticism within people who actually do experience the phenomenon through meditation or through c5 protocols or whatever surely when you've never experienced it before you're gonna have some nagging seed of doubt in your own mind and again anybody who is who's practiced c5 or um you know has any expertise in the area or any experience in the area let me know. I'd be, I'd be really interested to hear. Um, I'm on Twitter, at UFO Thinker. Give me a shout, DM or whatever if you don't want to do it publicly. Um, I'm just on the search for truth and, and I'm fascinated by learning new information about this stuff. But like I say, I'm a hopeful sceptic. I think I'm a hopeful sceptic in general. I'm a hopeful sceptic that likes to speculate and theorise, you know, because speculation's fun. Speculation is the imagination just being allowed to just do its thing um and uh you know but at the same time grounded in reality and grounded in the fact that you do need you know actual proof if you're going to convince others of, of something being the case and so on and i'll remain hopefully skeptical and we'll see what happens on the 28th and after that I'll probably do another little summary of what happened or what didn't happen as the case may be and I'm planning on doing a bit of more of a structured um, long-term experiment, say like a month of every single night, the same time or a similar time in the evening, doing a, say, 10 minutes of meditation and then looking at the sky for 10 minutes. You know, I think I can manage 15, <clears throat> 15 20 minutes a night for a month, you know, and see if there's any interesting findings. And I think even if I did that absolute worst case scenario, I would still be looking up at the stars and, you know, calming my mind every night for 20 minutes. That can't be a bad thing, can it? You know? So, like I say, got to remain sceptical, but also got to remain curious. So I think we'll leave it there for today. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast. So don't forget, you can get me on Twitter, at UFO Thinker, if you want to get in touch. It's always great to hear from people who have have things to add or, you know, <clears throat> want to uh, talk about what I've been discussing on the podcast. So give me a shout. And if you don't want to do it publicly, as I said earlier, drop me a DM. Uh, and um, until next time, guys, I'll catch you in the next podcast.
UFO Thinker Podcast. Podcast.